Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, whilst he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field, in their language, Akadalma, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. 
for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Basabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help this morning. We pray that you would open up the scriptures before us. Help us to see the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do please uh, sit down as you are sitting down. If you could be turning back to Acts chapter 1 and um, page 1092. Uh, inside all the bits of paper you were given on the way in, there's a handout also. Uh, they might use to follow along or, um, or colour in, or whatever you please. Uh, apologies in, va- in advance for um, my voice. I've uh, been struggling with a bit of man flu, uh, but we're hoping very much uh, that I'll be able to get through to the end. Now, as you can see, we're uh, starting a new series today uh, in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. But to introduce why this book is going to be so important for us this year, um, uh, let me ask you a question, a slightly puzzling question it might seem to start with. But the question is this, do you, suffer, uh, do you suffer, like most people in Britain, from railway anxiety? Now, uh, let me explain what railway anxiety is Uh, with the help of Bill Bryson in his uh, little travel book called Notes uh, from a Small Island. Uh, He was going around Britain making all sorts of interesting comments. So it goes like this. Suppose you want to go to Barnstable from Exeter and uh, you want to know whether the train that's just arrived is the right one. So this is the way it goes, says Bill Bryson. With many others, you form an orderly queue to ask a railway official for the benefit of foreign readers says Bryson, I should explain there's a certain ritual involved in this. Even though you've heard the conductor tell the person ahead of you that this is the Barnstable train, you still have to say, excuse me, is this the Barnstable train? When he acknowledges that it is indeed the Barnstable train, you have to point to it and say, this one. And then when you board the train, you must additionally ask the carriage generally, excuse me, is this the Barnstable train? which most people say that they think it is, except for one old man with a a lot of parcels who will get a panicked look and hurriedly gather up his things and get off. Bill Bryson wrote those words uh, 16 years ago now, uh, but it seems that very little has changed. I was putting a teenager on a train at Sheffield Station just a couple of weeks ago. We got to what we thought was the right platform and there was a train but there were no markings on it, absolutely no indication on the train at all. Even the sign at the front of the train was blank. There were lots of people on the platform, so we had to do the ritual. We had to ask them, does this train stop at Swinton? And most of them said yes, they thought so, but they didn't really seem very sure. It does seem that rail travel in this country will always be played by doubt and uncertainty. But as Christians, we're all probably very familiar with such feelings. Uh, Not all of us, I guess, suffer from railway anxiety. But all Christians, more or less, 
suffer from a very similar sort of anxiety. It's what you might call gospel anxiety. Uh, Believing the gospel, the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, is what makes us Christians. Uh, Yet life is constantly throwing up situations that make us ask, is this really true? I hope it is true. I hope to goodness sake this is really true. Otherwise I'm making a big mistake here. Am I, as I conduct my Christian life, am I, so to speak, on the right train? Well, unlike Northern Rail, our God does not want to leave us in the dark about this. And uh, we just really have to know where to look. And a very good place to look in the, book, in the Bible is the book of Acts. And we can be sure that this book of Acts was written to deal with this, precisely this kind of uncertainty by looking at the beginning of, it, of its companion volume in the Bible. That is the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. I don't know whether you knew this, that the books of Luke and Acts go together. They're two volumes of one complete work. But very uh, helpfully, Luke, who's the author of both the books, tells us why he is writing them. And I've, point, I've printed out what he says about that on your handout. These are the first verses from the Gospel of Luke. And he says this, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed also good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here here goes the reason. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So then, this orderly account, which covers both Luke and Acts, has been written so that we may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. And that word there, translated certainty, is about being, if you like, unshakable, uh, secure against falling and stumbling. And uh, if you look at the beginning of our passage in Acts chapter 1, you can see that Luke's concern is there continuing on into his second volume. Just like his gospel, Acts is addressed, verse 1, to Theophilus. Now that may have been a, a real person, a real individual, or since the name um, actually means someone who loves God, it may be a much more general term, simply a way of addressing anyone who's interested. Um, either way, Acts is here to reinforce the foundations of what we believe, giving us the kind of confidence in it that will then overflow in joy, in love, in prayer, and in bold, confident proclamation of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And what I hope we're going to see this morning, even in this first chapter of Acts, is that what we've been called to do in talking to people about Jesus does have secure historical roots. As we've just been hearing, we're participating in a passion for life as a church family this year. And we need to be confident that what we're doing is securely grounded in the plan and purpose of God. And this morning we're going to uh, be enlarging our confidence in that in two stages. First, by deepening our confidence in the risen Jesus and what he is doing right now. And then second, by deepening our confidence in his chosen apostles as dependable witnesses to him. Uh, But we're going to begin with the centre of all things, the risen Jesus. So verses 1 to 11, confidence in the risen Jesus. 
confidence in the risen Jesus and what he is doing right now. And take a look with me at the end of verse 3. Jesus appeared to them, that is the apostles, over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now what I've tried to do on your handout is summarise in a picture uh, of what Jesus wants to pass on to us about time, history and the kingdom of God which he spoke to his apostles about. All those things summarised from these verses. Now don't worry if you don't like diagrams. Um, I'll also explain what's going along as we go through it. And what I've tried to picture there is the top part of the picture shows what the Jesus' apostles were erroneously thinking to begin with. You see, they thought that because Jesus had risen from the dead and was talking about the kingdom, the restoration of all things, the end of history, uh, the restoration of all things to their proper order was coming right then and there. But as we'll see in a moment, they were wrong. And uh, Jesus corrects them. Uh, The true picture is there at the bottom. Before the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, something else has to happen first. Jesus will ascend to heaven, declared Lord of all things because of his victory over death. And then he with his father will send the Holy Spirit to empower his chosen apostles to witness to him, taking the word to the world, beginning in Jerusalem, but then spreading out all over the globe. And only when that task is done will he return from heaven to restore the kingdom and heaven and earth will be reunited and all God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled. And see, the point of all this is that once the apostles have understood this picture, they can understand their place in it. And uh, what they will discover is that they are there right in the middle. Their purpose in life and in this world is to witness to Jesus And of course, this is going to help us to understand our place in the big picture of history too. Because we're here basically to continue what they began. We take the eyewitness accounts of the apostles as carefully recorded for us in the Bible by people like Luke. And we call those apostles as expert witnesses. And they will continue to make the risen Jesus known in all the world. Now, the way that Luke teaches us the certainty of what's pictured there is by telling us what happened when the apostles learnt it for the first time. This is over the page on the, on the handout. So let's begin then looking at the passage and having a look at what the apostles saw and heard right at the beginning of our verses. And of course, the main thing they saw was Jesus himself. And they saw him alive. And you can see that Luke really labours this point. Verse 3, after his suffering and his death on the cross, uh, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days. Verse 4, he was doing things like eating with them. And this really is key. This is foundational. This is foundational to the rest of the book of Acts and indeed the rest of history. Jesus was dead, definitely dead, but now he is alive, definitely alive. And I hope you can begin to see what this means. It means that everything that's wrong about the world, the dysfunction, the hatred, the violence, and most of all the shadow of death which hangs over everything, 
all those things that we're looking at on the news and experiencing in our lives day by day, all those things can be reversed. Now pause for a moment to reflect on the, on the gravity of that. Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we can be sure that everything that's wrong about the, the world can be reversed, can be changed because we see it decisively reversed in this one person. He then holds the key to everything else. He therefore holds the key to the rest of us finding a way out from under the shadow of death. And this is so staggering, uh, so revolutionary, that I think the apostles were as flabbergasted about the idea of Jesus being alive after dying as, as we are today. And uh, you can see from these verses that it seems they took a lot of persuading. You can see they needed many convincing proofs over many days. I kind of imagine them uh, continually sort of touching him and prodding him, checking if it was for real, or, or maybe, you know, sort of casually brushing past him. Oh, sorry, Jesus, didn't see you there. Or, or nudging one another. Give him something to eat. Uh, try him with some fish. See what he does with some fish. Go on, give him an apple. See if he can manage an apple. And then as he, as he eats, all eyes fixed on him, seeing if, if it's for real. So if you're here this morning interested in Christianity, uh, but wouldn't yet be happy to call yourself a Christian, it's great that you are here. But as you listen in to find out more, do let me encouraging encourage you to be asking the right questions. So for example, don't begin by asking whether Christianity is practical, uh, whether it's workable day by day. Don't begin by asking whether it's satisfying. It's not even wise to begin by asking whether it's relevant, because it will be hard for you to work out in what way Christianity is relevant. Ask first whether it's true. In particular, ask whether this is true, the resurrection of Jesus is true, whether it's grounded in historical objective fact. Because if this is true, then of course Christianity will be practical, satisfying and relevant. If this is true, then it absolutely changes everything. So that's what Luke says, the apostles said they saw. That's how it works, isn't it? Luke says the apostles says they saw. But because we can empathise so strongly with the apostles' need for repeated evidence over an extended period of time, and because we can see that Luke is being so careful in reporting that testimony to us, it does have a clear ring of authenticity to it, a clear ring of truth. So then we can have confidence that they did indeed see the risen Jesus and they saw him alive. Now given all of that, what were the apostles expecting to happen next? We can see the sort of thing they were expecting from verse 6. This is the question they ask. So Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I think it's easy to be hard on the apostles at this point. Given that they've seen many of the Old Testament promises of restoration and blessing already fulfilled in the resurrection, they're now expecting all the promises of God to be fulfilled right then and there. Which in some ways is, you know, it's not unreasonable, is it? But we'll see from what Jesus says 
and from what happens next, the, what the apostles have got wrong is the scale of what Jesus is going to do next. It looks very much like they're imagining such something quite small, something like um, the restoration of a kingdom for Israel that's a bit like the kingdom which existed under David and Solomon in the past. But the kingdom Jesus is talking about is much greater than that. It's global. And uh, we're going to see him explain that to them in three stages. First of all, Jesus tells them what will happen next. This is not, says Jesus, the end of the story, as you might be imagining. Rather, it's the beginning of the final episode of the story. And this final episode is the story of the word, hence the title of this sermon series. The word which, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the apostles take to the world. The word containing their witness to the risen Jesus, that he is alive and that he is Lord. But notice it there in verses 7 and 8. Notice the scope of it. It's not just going to spread to Judea or even just to the people of Israel. But it's going to go out to Samaria and then it's going to go out to the ends of the earth. And that's the the story, the global story that we can have expanded for us in the rest of the book of Acts. Second, the question was this, wasn't it? Is Jesus at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, it's funny, isn't it? The very, very next thing that happens is that he disappears from sight. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. So I think we can take it, well, clearly not right at this time. So what does happen at this time? Well, we're going to hear more about this in Acts chapter 2. But take a look at verse 9. Jesus is taken up and a cloud hid him from their sight. You might know that clouds in the Bible often represent the glorious presence of God. So Jesus is being taken up into heavenly glory to take his rightful place by his Father as Lord. Uh, So although his rule um, at the present remains opposed and unacknowledged by much of the world, in, in some ways his rule has begun. We might say then that the kingdom is very near indeed. So that's the situation right now thirdly and lastly as the apostles then rather dim-wittedly stare into the sky wondering what just happened the Lord graciously sends some messengers to explain what's happening right now is not the final coming of the kingdom so stop staring into the sky but it will come it will come in due time when Jesus returns and at that time in the future his rule will extend from the heavens decisively into the earth, reuniting all things, bringing them to completeness, and his reign being unopposed in all the heavens and all the earth. So in those three steps, we have built up for us the picture of time and history that I tried to draw for you. On the first side of the handout, Jesus ascends as Lord of all, and in the age which follows, his Holy Spirit empowers the spread of the apostles' witness to him. That is what Jesus is doing right now. And then he will return and he'll bring the story to a close. Now you know that some people sometimes ask questions like, why am I here? Why does the universe exist? Um, Usually, I think, without expecting to find an answer, it's just a way of passing the time in an interesting way. But think about this question. 
this morning? Why does history exist? Why does this piece of history that we're in exist? Or let's make it even more concrete. Uh, When you wake up uh, tomorrow morning, why will the day that you're waking into exist? Why will Monday 7th of October 2013 exist? What's its purpose? What's its function? That's a handy thing to know when you wake up, is it not? Well, now you know. Tomorrow exists for the same reason that today exists, so that the word about the risen Jesus can be heard in all the world. It's funny the news how often you hear people to try and hear about people trying to find um, their quote place in history. So at um, major sporting events, a player or a team will be playing for a place in history. Say the commentators. It seems to be a very common ambition to find a place in history of your name in the history books. Well, let me tell you, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then the Lord has given you a place in history. And it's a pretty important place in history. Your place in history is to pass on the apostles' eyewitness testimony that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is reigning, Jesus is Lord. And he will return. Now all of that, of course, places quite a deal of weight on the apostles themselves. So as we pass on that witness, we have to ask ourselves, can we trust them? This takes us to the second part of Acts chapter 1, which I'm going to argue is here to give us confidence in Jesus' chosen apostles. This is verses 12 through to 26. Confidence in his chosen apostles as dependable witnesses of the resurrection. Now, there's an awful lot in these verses about selecting a replacement for Judas uh, that we don't have time to deal with, it, and we don't have time to deal with all the detail this morning. So, I'm going to limit myself to answering two questions here. First of all, why, why did the apostles do all this thing, this selection process? And then, secondly, uh, most importantly, what does it signify? Why did the apostles do this? Well, you can see in verse 17 that Judas was one of their number. But of course, Judas betrayed Jesus and his apostolic ministry then ceased. So a new apostle is going to be needed to make up their number. The number 12. Why is the number 12, I wonder, so important here? Well, to answer that, we really need to sort of step back and uh, think about God's promises in the big picture. And when God promised In the Old Testament to Abraham that his blessing would indeed one day spread to all the world, that blessing conquering curse and death, he more precisely promised something like this, that the blessing would first first flow to one particular nation, one particular family. This was the family of Israel. And of course you know that there were 12 patriarchs in Israel heading up the 12 tribes. So what Jesus does as he starts his ministry is appoint 12 apostles, very deliberately, to send out into the world. And that signified that he was fulfilling that promise and taking it to the next stage, the stage where the blessing goes global. So what the apostles are doing here reflects well on them. It it, it reflects on the fact that finally they've (coughs) understood and recognised the important role that Jesus has given them in this new phase of history. You see, through their witness, the blessing of God is going to flow out into all the world. But their number is incomplete, so they need to make it up. 
What does it signify for us? Well, you'll be pleased to know, I think, that it's not to give us some procedure for selecting leaders in the church. When we appoint a, um, a, a new uh, associate vicar, we're not going to be following this procedure. This is a unique and one-off event. And we know that because, for example, when, the, when James the Apostle dies later in the book of Acts, this process isn't repeated to make up the number. Now, the key to understanding this really lies in verses 21 and 22. Let me read those to you. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And this reminds us right at the beginning of Acts several things about an apostle. An apostle is someone who knew Jesus personally throughout his earthly ministry. An apostle is most importantly someone who saw the risen Jesus for himself. And furthermore, an apostle is personally chosen by Jesus himself. And that's true even here. The the believers pray to the Lord in verse 24 and the lot falls to Matthias. Now we all know and uh, we might be feeling it, um, might be feeling this especially keenly at the start of this Passion for Life year, that telling people about Jesus can be uh, quite a daunting prospect. Uh, we say to them, uh, Jesus is risen and uh, Jesus is Lord. Uh, but the problem is, of course, we can't actually point to him physically. Uh, so it'd be quite tricky. If I was in a, being closely questioned in a, in a, in a courtroom, I would have to say, under close questioning, no, well, it's true, I haven't actually seen him myself. And uh, no, I can't actually see his kingdom. But what Luke is reminding me of this morning, is reminding all of us this morning, is that although I haven't seen him, I do know some people who have. And this is how it works. I call on the apostles... And their expert witness, carefully recorded for us here in the Bible, and because I'm confident in them, I can be confident in the risen Jesus and what he is doing right now to make himself known. I was on a train to London earlier in the year, and at Leicester, a woman got on with a very large number of bags, and the doors closed and then locked as they do these days, uh, some 30 seconds before the departure of the train. Then after they locked, came the announcement, this is the London train going right through to London without any further stops. She swore more loudly and more explicitly than anyone else I've ever heard in public and desperately tried to open the door. But it was too late And a few moments later, we slowly moved out of the station. But what I want us to be reminded of this morning is as Christians, we are on the right train. These things have been carefully recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 so that we can be unshakably certain that we are on the right train. Has life burst in under the shadow of death? Yes, we can be confident in the risen Jesus. Is the hope of that life now spreading in the world through the eyewitness testimony of the apostles? 
Yes, we can be confident that it is indeed what is supposed to be happening right now. If you're a Christian here this morning, have you got on the right train? Yes. Yes, you have. Well, we're going to pray and uh, Paul's going to lead us in our prayers.